You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. If you'd like to, in your Bibles, turn to Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. And I'm going to read these through to you, and then we'll, we'll have a look at these verses. Okay, here we go. So, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. For those who don't know, Abba in Aramaic means Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Great verses. So we're going to unpick these today. Before I do that, though, I just want to talk a bit about Christmas. <laughs> it's, our first, it's the beginning of our Advent um, series, and uh, I was reflecting and thinking about Christmas, thinking, why does everyone get so excited about it? And, uh, and I was thinking, what, I think what people get excited about is the anticipation, isn't it? It's the excitement of what is to come. And so at Christmas, you know, there's always family traditions, there's always things that are going on in, the, in, a, you know, in your life that you think, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, we got our advent calendar out this, this week. We have one of those ones you put sweets in. And uh, the kids were, you know, excited and uh, saying, Dad, when are we going to put the decorations up? And I was like, no, no, hold back, hold back. Not yet, please. And, uh, you know, there's a real sense, isn't there, of anticipation. You know, we can't wait. You know, we're making plans. You know, who are you going to go and see? Where are we going to have Christmas? Who, who wants what for Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. And throughout the Bible, there is a sense of anticipation and excitement because of Jesus coming. And you see it in the Old Testament. There are actually 55 prophecies um, uh, about Jesus before he came to earth. And so there's uh, prophecies about where he was going to be born, who he was, what he is, um, and uh, prophecies about even his death, and even into kind of almost minute detail about how he would die and what that would mean. And there's a real sense of anticipation in the Bible, and then suddenly Jesus comes at Christmas, okay, and uh, you, you get a glimpse of what that means to people um, and what it means to heaven when you read these verses in Luke 2. I'll read them quickly to you. This is when, when um, the angels appear to the shepherds, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, someone who saves us, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. You know, these were lowly, uneducated, smelly, no doubt. I've done a bit of shepherding in my past and uh, it's a smelly job, Okay smelly shepherds. But who did God decide to make that announcement to first? These men. Normal, normal men. Okay. It's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? And uh, the waiting was over. Now, I don't know about you, on Boxing Day, sometimes it can be a bit miserable, can't it? (laughs) And uh, you open the fridge and you see this sort of carcass in the fridge. You're like, oh, that doesn't look very appetizing, does it? (laughs) Looked better yesterday. And, uh, or, you know, you think, oh, Another 364 days until I get another present. You know, I don't know. <laughs> wherever, you, wherever you are on that. 
So, you know, sometimes Christmas to us humans can seem a bit of an anticlimax, can't it? But to God, to, to us as Christians, it's far from that, okay? Because when Jesus came, when Jesus comes into our lives, he changes lives. He changes lives on a, on a wide level, on a wider level. Um, he transforms people. He's, he's transformed human history. Uh, he transforms lives on an individual level, doesn't he? You know, people meet with Jesus and they change. You see it in the Christmas story. You see Mary, an uneducated, normal girl who's, who's suddenly met with by God, who's given this immense responsibility. And she changes, doesn't she? And she changes through as the story develops. You see it in Joseph, a working class lad, kind of thrown into this maelstrom of, you know, whatever, what is going on here? This is, this is crazy, you know. And he's about to walk away, and God says, no, don't walk away. I've got plans for you, Joseph. He matures as the story unfolds. And you see, it, you see wise men, clever intellectuals on their knees. You see Herod, a king, an evil tyrant, brought to fear and trembling because of Jesus. You know, you see how Jesus answered the prayers and hopes of people, you know, kind of devout believers who were praying, God, please bring a, a Messiah. Please bring someone who can mend this relationship between God and man. And in people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon, you see how Jesus changed their lives, changed their perspective and brought hope into their hearts. And so wherever Jesus goes, he changes lives. And this is what Paul was trying to get at when he was writing these verses in Galatians. And I want to look at these verses in a bit more detail. I'm going to tell you this morning three stories three stories from the Bible, and I want to pin them to three statements in these verses. The first statement is to redeem those who were under the law. The second statement is so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the third statement is that God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our heart. And I want to expand on those. What, are they, what does that actually mean to us? And if you're here this morning maybe looking in, maybe thinking, I'm interested in Christianity, I, I'm interested in Jesus, I'm fascinated why these people get so excited. Um, I just listen in this morning, and I want to hopefully paint a picture of, of what true Christianity is, what it really means, and what Christmas really was about, about ushering in God's presence into our lives. So the first statement is this one, to redeem those who are under the law. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles quickly, we're going to do a lot of Bible stories today, which is good, okay? I think it's good when you hear the word, faith rises, doesn't it? So I'm going to read to you from Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8. So Jesus, getting into a boat, um, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes and, and uh, said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knew, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Rise up. Come on, pick up your bed. Go home. Imagine it, can't you? Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And he rose and went home. 
And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So what was going on here? Well, Jesus was coming up against the religious establishment and they accused him of blasphemy. They said, what is, you know, who is this man that he can forgive sins? Now, what right has he got to do that? And what they failed to see, what they failed to understand, was that actually Jesus is God. And Jesus is Emmanuel. We use that word at Christmas, God with us. Jesus was fully man, fully God on earth. He had the right to forgive this man's sins. He could forgive this man's sins. Now, these religious leaders, they were living under, under bondage, under bondage to law, under bondage to a code, a religious code, that was basically saying you have to work, you have to achieve this forgiveness. You can't just accept, you know, you've got to do stuff to be forgiven. You've got to do stuff to please God. And Jesus was smashing up against this. In uh, Galatians, Paul writes these words, chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so the cross, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I think everyone in this room at some level would probably agree with me if I said that us as humans are in big trouble. There is so much wrong in this world. And most of it, in fact all of it I would say, is generated from us as humans. We are fallen in our sin, in our wrongdoing. And it is impossible to please God through our own strength. People try it, people have tried it, religions try it, Christians try it. But you can't please God through your good work. And if you try, it's as if you're under a curse. You know, you can see it, can't you? You know, I will. Today, I'm going to be good. Okay, I'm going to do it. Oh, failed. Today, I'm going to be good. Oh, failed. Today, I'm going to please God. Oh, failed. If you try it in your own strength, it's like a curse. You can never escape from it. But the good news is, is that Jesus came to take that curse for us. He met the law's requirements. He met... Um, the God's standards on the cross. And if we put our faith in Jesus, he forgives our sins and we can move on and we can know peace with God. And 500 years ago, to around kind of this year or so, or last year maybe, I think it was, a man called Martin Luther discovered this. Now, you may have heard of Martin Luther. What he discovered basically turned the world upside down, turned the Christian world upside down. The very reason that we, uh, we live in a country which has the Church of England is because of Martin Luther, Martin Luther what, he, what he taught, and we moved away from the, from the Catholic Church. What he discovered was monumental. And what did he discover? Well, Martin Luther was a monk, and he was trying hard to meet with God, trying hard to find peace with God, trying hard to have a relationship with God. And uh, it says, when you read about him, it says that sometimes he used to spend up to six hours in one session saying sorry for all his sins. You know, he was under bondage. He was under this curse. I can't, you know, he couldn't escape from it. In this dark, dank cell, 
you know, pleading with God, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me for that. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? And then um, it says that he started to hate himself because it was just so negative. And then it also says that, that actually he started to hate God. He started to say, God, you're, you're a tyrant. Why, you, you know, why do you put me under this? But he failed to see the truth. And as he was reading Romans, uh, the book of Romans, which was written by Paul, in Romans 1 verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, first to last. The righteous will live by faith. His heart started to melt. And actually, he discovered that God is a kind and generous God, and that God doesn't require us to be attractive before he loves us. He loves us before, you know, we deal with all this rubbish in our lives. And he wrote, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And this is what was happening in this story. You know, this paralytic was there. The religious leaders were kind of like, you know, kind of looking on maybe. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't heal the man first. He forgives his sins first. He saw the man's faith and he forgave his sins. And that's what it's about. If we have faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We are free from the curse of the law, of religious requirement, of good works, of I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this. We are free from it because Jesus has set us free from it. So stop and think this morning. What does this mean for you? What does it mean for you in this room here? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for all of us? Are you living in that faith this morning? The second story I want to look at is, is uh, based on this statement, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. If you'd like to quickly, or it's on the screen, turn to Mark 3, verse 1 to 5. Here we go. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, this is the religious people again, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the religious leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. So what they believe, what these religious leaders believed was that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. You couldn't do anything that, remar that sort of looked like work. And you had to devote that day to worshipping God. And so they were trying to catch Jesus out. And uh, what they failed to see was what the heart of true worship is. And they were more worried about their reputation. They were more worried about you know, their standing, you know, keeping the law, looking good then actually what was the heart? What was Jesus saying? What was the heart of true worship? And they were so far away from God's heart that they were prepared to follow a way of living rather than actually help this poor man and show compassion to this man. And this, is, again, is a story of Jesus coming up against the establishment. And this kind of religion, this kind of legalistic heartless religion is what Jesus came to get rid of. When you become a Christian, you are filled with his spirit. It's such a privilege. 
you are filled with the Spirit of God. And as Paul wrote in Galatians at the, in those verses at the beginning, our hearts well up within us and we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, we know God. You know, if you're standing, you know, if you're standing here in worship and you're suddenly thinking, this is amazing, this is incredible. God, I'm meeting with you. You're feeling your touch in my life. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us. Our eyes have been opened. God's Spirit is in our hearts. It says in Paul wrote in Corinthians that um, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, when we have the heart of God, when we have the Spirit in us, we have the heart of God and we understand the things of God. Our lives are opened up to the Spirit and to what God wants for people around us. And this is what these Pharisees didn't have, but is what we all have as sons and daughters of God. And life of the Spirit is wonderful. And I want to ask you at the outset, are you living your life in the Spirit? Are you enjoying what God has put into you? Life of the Spirit frees us from dry and hard religion. It says in Galatians 5 verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke is, you know, when they yoke the two animals together, and they're like this, aren't they? Pushing along. The farmer's directing them. They, they want to go, but they can't, and they're like this. And Paul is saying here, don't submit to a yoke of slavery again. And what is this slavery? Are you, you know, motivation by guilt, motivation by condemnation, motivation by fear. You know, oh God, will you accept me? Oh, I must look good in front of that person. I must do this. I must do this. Put some money in the charity box. I've got to, please God, I've got to, this is just heartless religion. Guilt, condemnation, fear. It causes hardness. It causes self-righteousness in people. You care for yourself. You judge others. Jesus has set us free from that kind of religion. The Holy Spirit helps us understand God's word. It brings alive God's word. It says in John 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You know, we, it's great. We, we have teachers, we have theologians, and God has blessed us with incredible brains that help us to understand the word of God. But the amazing thing is, is that in your own private time, in your sitting room, your living room, your bedrooms, wherever you are on the train, the Holy Spirit brings alive God's word into our hearts. Who here has sat there and you've read something maybe for the 20th time in the Bible and you suddenly it just comes alive and you're like, wow, what is that? That is life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows us how we should live. Galatians 5 verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit brings moral compass into our lives. He convicts, but he doesn't make us guilty. He uh, convicts us, but he doesn't condemn us. So what the Holy Spirit does is he opens our hearts to understand, yeah, that wasn't right. I didn't respond in that way. I didn't say that quite right. I didn't respond to that person properly. And then, and then you deal with it. And then because of Jesus, because he, he took the curse of the law for us, we move on and we can move on and we're free, we're free, we're free. The Holy Spirit produces good fruit in us. Galatians 5, verse 22, 23, famous verses, loved of kids' workers all over the place. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I joke, but those verses are incredible because that is what life in the Spirit is like. You know, every day, I, I personally, I, I ask God to refresh me, to refill me again with his spirit and help me to be patient. I go through these, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled. And people who live with me and people who work with me know that I'm not always there. But I know God is working in me and changing me. And it's a wonderful transformation that God is doing in my life and in many of our lives. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to know God the Father. My son, Joel... He doesn't cower in my presence. He comes into the room sometimes. He slaps me on the head. And, uh, you know, he will say, all right, Dad. I was walking down the street with him the other day, and he said, so how was your day then, Dad? You know, and it's just, he's familiar with me. You know, he, he loves me. He doesn't, you know, I'm his father. He's my son, and we have that relationship. Do you have that relationship with God? Or is God a, a slave master to you? Because he isn't. But is that how you treat God? And as Paul says in these verses, we relate to God in a new way in the spirit. And we cry, Daddy, Father, you understand, you know God in a new way. So stop and think this morning. What is God saying to you this morning? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit convicts us, works in us, draws us to God. But there needs to be a moment when you are saved, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Has that happened to you? And then once we're filled, we're continually refreshed. Is that happening to you? Has God spoken to you recently and you're thinking, I'm not sure if that's God or not? Well, talk to someone about it. Have you felt convicted and you need to deal with something? Deal with it and move on. The curse of the law is gone. You can deal with it and move on. So what is God saying to you this morning? Are you filled with his spirit? Are you continually being refilled with his spirit? So, final story, story three. If you'd like to turn to Acts 7, verses 51 to 58, and I'm going to tell you about Stephen, who um, was one of the early Christians. Um, He was one of the early church leaders in the Christian church, and uh, this is his story. This is how, what happened to him. He came up like Jesus against the religious establishment, and they didn't like him, and uh, Stephen didn't hold back his words, okay? So picking up from verse 51, he was talking to the religious leaders. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. You know, they're, they're, they were offended, enraged, enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears can't hear any more of this, and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, for those who don't know, Saul is Paul, okay? Paul, before he became a Christian, 
was known as Saul. So what we see here is a glimpse into Paul's story, the man who wrote these verses in Galatians. We see a dark place, the dark place that he came from. And uh, Paul knew more than anyone else what it meant to be bound up in oppressive, legalistic, dry, cold, faithless religion. You know, he was there at the murder of Stephen. He was egging them on. He was holding their coats, saying, come on, get rid of this bloke. And he was a slave. Paul was a slave to religion. And it only took a miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, where he was literally knocked off his horse and blinded for a few days to actually change this man's heart. Now, what I want to bring out from this story, the point that I want to get across to you, is that actually Jesus did save Paul. It's incredible. If you think about it, it's incredible. This man who was a Christian killer, Jesus took his time to knock him off the horse and to say, I want you. And Paul got this. Paul's life was was never the same again. It motivated him to do the things that he did, to start churches across the world, to write half of what we you know, have in the Bible. And Paul writes in, in verse 7 of Galatians 4, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And Paul was writing to the Galatian Christians because he was so upset. He was shocked. Because what they were doing was, was trying to uh, bring some of these religious laws back in again that the, these Pharisees used. They were trying to get people to circumcise themselves, to be made right with God, to, to, bring the, you know, to restore that covenant between God, which was just rubbish. It didn't need it to happen anymore. Remember, Jesus has got rid of the curse of the law. And he said to them, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's done this to you? This is spiritually pointless. And it's an insult to what Jesus has done on the cross. Please, please don't enslave yourselves again. And now Paul If anyone knew about slaves, they estimate in Roman Italy alone, there were 1.5 to 2 million slaves. 20% of the population were slaves. So if you extend that out to to the, the whole of the Roman Empire, there were millions, millions, millions of slaves. Many early Christians were slaves. You couldn't escape their presence. They were everywhere. So people knew what it meant to be a slave. And they were a silent presence. They were like our modern-day dishwashers or ovens or pens. They were used for just every household chore you could think about. They were a commodity. They were bought. They were sold. If they became useless, they were sold on. And they knew what the lot of a slave was. And with this in mind, with this in context, Paul writes, so you are no longer one of a slave, but a son. Paul was saying, look around you at these slaves. They've got nothing. They have no rights, no privileges. But you have now been called into God's family. Under the law, you were once a slave. You were once dead. But Jesus has satisfied the requirements of God. And now you are a son and a daughter of the living God. And it's wonderful, isn't it? And, you know, we celebrate adoption, don't we? We celebrated it a few weeks ago, because it's wonderful. Lives that are maybe lost, uh, desperate, people who have children who have no hope are brought into a family. And how much more does that apply to us as, as people? We had no hope. We had nothing. 
And we have been brought into God's family and adopted and made his sons and daughters. And as our father, God loves us. He understands us. He takes care for our needs. He gives us good gifts. You know, I, we take great care at Christmas, get all the presents out on the bed. You know, is that enough for Joel? Is that enough for Mary? Is that enough for Lauren? And, uh, you know, we want to make sure we get it right. So how, if we do that, how much do you think God does that for his children? He gives us his Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So not only does he give us gifts now, we have an inheritance waiting for us. We are sons and daughters of the king. One day we will be reigning in eternity with, with, with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. And this is what C.S. Lewis was trying to get across in Narnia. You know, they, they, they left earth, they went into Narnia, and they were suddenly kings and queens. And Aslan, the king who represented Jesus, was walking around with them and spending time with them. And then they come back again, don't they, to the railway station in their uniforms, school uniforms again. It's like, oh, back again. One day, though, we will be with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth, reigning. That is our inheritance. That is our privilege. As a good father, God disciplines us. He loves us. And he disciplines us. And I've been reflecting on this recently, thinking, God, why do you do these things to me? Why do you do put me through some stuff and dealing with attitudes that I have or hard things that happen in life? Why do you allow that, God? Or, you know, what's going on? And it just occurs, occurred to me when I was reading something in Corinthians that actually um, God does it to bring glory to him so that people can see Christ in me. So people can see the Holy Spirit working in me and changing me. And God disciplines us because, you know, as we are disciplined, we're storing up eternal glory. He's maturing us. And then also our sonship impacts our relationships with each other. So you are sitting next to brothers and sisters. You might not have earthly brothers or sisters. You might have rubbish relationships with your earthly brothers and sisters. You know, I mean this with the greatest respect. It's exciting because you now have spiritual brothers and sisters, people who love you, who are looking out for you, who care for you. This is what God's family is about. And when we do church work, we are doing family work. And so it's not about competing. It's not about hindering one another, you know, and being jealous or worried or concerned, you know, oh, so-and-so's, you know, doing that or done that and whatever. No, it's not about that. Be thankful for whatever good or progress comes to your brothers and sisters in the church. You know, we are part of a family work now to bring glory to God. And it's freeing. It's so freeing. So stop and think. Before we conclude... Are you a slave or are you a son? Okay, how are you living out your life? Because you have been made sons of the living God. So we've got three stories here, three ways in which we see lives transformed through Jesus. And uh, I want to ask you really this morning to make Christmas a mark in the sand. This Christmas a mark in the sand. And in the busyness and the rush of it all, just think about what you've heard this morning. You can celebrate and you can rejoice because God has sent Jesus. He's rescued you from dead, dry, meaningless religion. He's adopted you into his family. He's put his spirit within you, the spirit that cries, Abba, Father. 
And you can know freedom and strength as you draw closer to God. You can hear God's voice in so many ways. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.